Good morning. The, uh, I'm going to do a bit of, um, we're going to talk about a bit of theology today. Um, now, theology is the study of God, for those who don't know, the study of the nature of God, and, and doctrine is a set of beliefs. So we're not going to talk about a set of beliefs, we're going to talk about the nature of God in some degree. Now, I'm not a teacher by gifting, um, but I am going to teach more than I'm going to preach. Uh, it's, I hope it won't be boring. And uh, have, I, have you got me? Am I lost? Okay. That's fine. Um, just as a, as, a, as a little introduction, um, I'm not a teacher by gifting. I'm not a teacher minded, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to give you a few handles on some scriptures that will help you to just understand the nature of God better. Um, but it's going to come from more of an apostolic, prophetic uh, leaning. Um, and just for those of you who know, you'll pick up, as you see different people preaching, you'll start to pick up the gift mix that they have. Generally, what, what the apostolic prophetic does is it brings more of a revelatory understanding, um, and, and that sort of unlocks uh, revelation of the mind and the heart, more, more so the heart than the mind. Um, what, what teachers can then do is they can then take that revelation, and they can actually formulate it um, quite well in order to instruct people on how to actively uh, apply that to their lives. Uh, what, what the pastoral gifting does is it generally then takes that revelation and, it, um, and, and what the teachers bring, which is formulated, and they're able to take people on a journey into bringing them into the, the freedom of that reality. And then what the evangelists do is they generally like a big fishing net. They go out there and they bring people into the community. Sometimes those people come in having been born again, after meeting that evangelist, other times they bring people in to the environment and they then hear the message and respond while in that community. So evangelists in the world would be like a salesman. And a, a pastor would be like your counselors, your psychologists, and your psychiatrists, and, and in a sense doctors. Um, what the, uh, the teacher would be is they sort of more like your actual teacher's lecturers. And the apostolic prophetic is very much like your entrepreneurs, your pioneers. They go out there, they find new ground. And you need all of that to have a community that functions. Amen? With, that, with those gifts lacking, we are not built up into maturity. Okay? So that was just a little bit of a sideline intro. Because um, often people come and say, oh, there was such a great this, or you've got this. And, and if you don't recognize the gift, you don't get the, re the reward that that gift brings. Now, if you receive a, what does it say? If you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you will receive the prophet's reward. If you receive a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, you shall receive the righteous man's reward. Same with pastors, teachers, evangelists. Amen? Okay, so let's go in your Bibles, if you've got them on your phones, iPads, or those of you who have paper. Um, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, please. Who of you have heard this? I've heard it. I've taught it. Um, and, I, and there's some men that, that, I, that I know and women that I know that teach this, um, people that I actually respect and listen to, but um, that you've heard that the Holy Spirit is like a dove. You know, how you live will, will, will cause him to either remain on you or to move away, flutter away. You know, the, the, the dove is a shy bird. Have you heard that? Anyone heard that teaching? Anyone heard that? Okay, so if you live in a certain way, the Holy Spirit, like if you, if you make a noise, a dove's very, he's not like a pigeon, a dove is more sort of shy, uh, it doesn't like a lot of noise, so you've got to be very cautious how you live to keep the dove remaining. Anyone heard that? Okay, so this is where it comes from. It really comes from Matthew chapter 3, 
verse 13. Let's pick it up in verse 13, which is Jesus coming down to be baptized. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John the Baptist to be baptized by him. John would have, I'm reading from the SV, okay? John would have uh, prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it, be, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And a voice, and, and, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is the... The, the only time, this is the only scripture in which we are getting this so-called theology, this understanding of the nature of God, the Holy Spirit, um, that he's like a dove. Um, and if we operate in certain ways or we, you know, you, you, you live a loud life, meaning you live, you, you do something that's outside of what God wants you to do. Be it the flesh, call it sinning, whatever the church wants to call it. But what happens then is the Holy Spirit moves himself off you. And we've got to live in a way that he can come and remain on us like he did on Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's shy. He'll never, ever force you to do anything. Anyone heard that? Okay. Now I want to say to you that that's not correct. <laughs> okay. The Holy Spirit is not, not a dove. Um, he, he's not shy. Uh, we, we see a, a, a violent rushing wind come into a city. We, we see f tongues of fire falling on people. We see fire on a mountain that Moses gets to go up to. We see the apostles laying their hands on people and then falling on the floor and shaking at the presence of God infilling their physical bodies. Okay, um, he, is, he is very much like Jesus. Did Jesus, was he confrontational? Yes. Was he outspoken? Yes. Was he humble? Obviously, yes. And gentle? Yes. And he says, I will send the comforter, the counselor, one who is like me, but not me. The alos, is the, the Greek word is alos, Parakletos, which means he is not me, but he is like me. In his nature, he is, God is the same in nature through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus represents the Father perfectly. And the Holy Spirit represents Jesus and the Father perfectly. Jesus walks in, as a man perfectly in obedience to the Holy Spirit. He operated under the guidance of the Holy Spirit 100%. Not, he did not walk as God on earth. He walked as man on earth, fully connected to God by the Spirit. Everything he did was what he saw his father doing. Everything he said was what he heard his father saying. He did it simply by watching the Holy Spirit and being obedient to the Holy Spirit in his life. When Jesus stood and he addressed the Pharisees, the religious people of his day, he did it simply by the power of the Holy Spirit talking through him, who was relaying what the father was saying. Okay, it doesn't give us a right to go around smacking people, but we can address religious spirits to bring them down. Okay? In order to, to build this uh, theology, the correct theology, or to undo, in a sense, an incorrect theology, we need to look, look at Jesus to then see the picture of the dove. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to do that as best I can today. And um, what I want to do is I want to I first and foremost point you um, to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Okay, we're going to speak about the Ark of the Covenant, the one that was in the tabernacle, okay? It says in verse 1, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which 
were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a, was a second section called the most holy place or the holy of holies. Having a golden altar of incense, the ark of the covenant that's covered on sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna. So Jesus was the bread of life. This is a representation of him, the manna. And Aaron's staff that had budded, the, the staff had budded supernaturally to show that the life of God was inside the box, the ark. Jesus is the life of God. He is true life, okay? He is the manna, the bread from heaven, the bread of, and he is the bread of life and true life to all mankind, okay? And it had the tablets of the covenant, which to them represented the word of God to man. Jesus is the personification of the word. The ark that sat behind the tent, or in the tent, sorry, behind the curtain, was a representation of God with man on earth. Who was Jesus? The representation of God among men on earth. Who's the Holy Spirit? He is God on earth with men. Okay, so the, 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 the ark that was in the, the, the tabernacle is a representation of Jesus. Go with me to Joshua 3. So I'm going to build a theology around Jesus, and then just, just at the end, you'll just immediately see that it, what the Holy Spirit was doing when he came to Jesus, right? And all that's going to do is undo that theology, that thinking, should I say, because it's not a theology, that wrong understanding, and then give you a better understanding so that when you live out your life, you live it out with a correct thinking, which will then give you the correct behavior. So Joshua 3 verse 14, Joshua's been told he's going to lead the people, they're going to go across the river, he sends out spies, they come back, he then gets told, tells the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, we're going to cross the river, the Lord's going to do amazing things. Joshua 3 verse 14, we pick it up. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the ark of the covenant, the presence of God before the people. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan was overflowing on all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam. Just stop there for a second. So what you need to understand is this. Jesus, translated in the Greek, New Testament in the Greek, is the name... Yeshua, Joshua in the Hebrew, right? So Hebrew, we say Joshua, Joshua's name is Yeshua. Okay, Jesus' name is Yeshua, the same name. So Joshua leads the people with the presence of God on, on their shoulders into the river. The word Jordan, the name Jordan means to descend or the descender. Now the Jordan ran and at that point it ran down and it ended in an ocean called the Dead Sea. Now has anyone ever seen, I've looked... I've looked at the Dead Sea. I've physically seen it when I was in Jordan. I saw the Dead Sea. I haven't swam in it. I haven't touched the waters, but I've seen it from afar, from the top of the mountains looking down. And the, the Dead Sea has nothing living in it. There's no life form in there. Rivers are meant to bring forward life. That's, that in, the, in the scripture, river speaks of life. When you speak of a dirty river, it speaks of life not being good. So river brings forward life. The Holy Spirit is normally represented as the river. This river, Jordan, this, this descender was running down and it was filtering into an ocean which speaks of nations, but it was bringing forward death. There was nothing alive. 
It's interesting that when the presence of God goes into the river, carried on the shoulders of the priest, nonetheless, but speaking of it is when the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus Christ, led by Jesus, goes into the river, the waters that are flowing to death actually stop flowing. But it's very interesting at the place where they stop flowing because it says that they stood up at a place called Adam which is so clear of what God was going to do thousands of years later, that when the presence of God, the ark of God, goes into the river, the waters that were flowing from first Adam, the one who brought forward sin and death into the world through his disobedience to God, would stop flowing and no longer bring that flow, that so-called life flow of death. Such a prophetic picture thousands of years ago. And then Jesus comes, and he goes into the river, the Jordan River. Now, he has this Yeshua, this so-called Joshua-type figure, who, who the, the Hebrews, when they waited for the Messiah, the prophets understood that he would be the presence of God. Okay, so, so now God's got to do something to show these people that this is the ark, the one who is going to open up, who's going to stop the flow of death from Adam Onwards, he's going to stop that flow, become the last Adam, from who would come forward life, no longer death. So he, he's going to come in and he's going to stop the flow of death and bring you forward into the promised land, which is, which is a representation of the kingdom of God, God's rule, God's government, God's authority. So here comes Jesus. There's a prophet in the, in the river. He's waiting. He needs to understand, God has said to him, the one on whom you see the Spirit remain is the Messiah. So John sees Jesus. He's having revelation. He, God wants to now show the people that this is my ark that's going to bring you into my place, my home, my promised land. But in order to do that, he ties him into a separate ark. And it's the ark that we see, the other ark that we see in the scriptures, which is in Genesis. And it's the ark that Noah built. So let's have a look at that. From chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 8. You want to turn there? This is a very simple teaching. But it will just give you the correct theology of who the Holy Spirit is. So he goes here. Then it's from verse 8. He says, Then he sent forth a dove. Now we know that the waters start receding. The rain stops, should I say. The waters are starting to recede. Noah's been in this ark with his family and some animals. And so he sends, firstly he sends a raven, the raven comes back. He then sends forward a dove. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters have subsided from the face of the ground. Verse 9. But the dove found no place to set its, her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took in the dove into the ark with him. Verse 10. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold... In its mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah then knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and he sent forth the dove and it did not return to him anymore. So now we see a dove and then later on we see a dove again. But the interesting thing is, is that on the third time Noah sends out from the ark the dove. The next time we see the dove remain is when it comes down and lands on the shoulder of, or on Jesus. As a clear picture that, that this man is the ark. 
the picture of Noah's Ark to the Hebrews is the picture of salvation. So here he is. He is the Ark of the Covenant. He is the, the one through whom God will bring redemption, the wooden Ark. The golden Ark inside the, the tabernacle was that when Jesus came out of the water, this dove coming and sitting on him, the, the, the prophet would have seen that and gone, this is the Ark, this is the one, this is the Messiah. The one that I'm baptizing today is the one who shall bring salvation unto men, and he is the one who will take us from this, from this life of death uh, this, this, this life of death into this life of life, of abundance, and take us into the promised land. And through that one scripture, we, we build a theology that the Holy Spirit is flighty and skittish and very shy and doesn't want to do anything, nor does he compel you to anything, because we call him the comforter and the counselor. Now, comforters are, and counselors are quite strong. And so what I wanted to do in showing you this is quite simple. Most of you may have known that already. Well done. But what I want to do is I've seen Christians live in a way that when they, when they walk outside of the purpose or the way of God, which we all do, we enter into this place where we feel the Spirit of God has now left us through, through teaching. The Spirit of God has now left us and we now need to get Him back. And so we enter into this works-based mentality to try and drum up the support of the Spirit again. Now, if the Holy Spirit is not with us, who is left to lead and guide us into all truth? If Jesus himself said that he will lead you and he will guide you into all truth and he will remind you of everything that I've said to you. Now he's gone because you messed up. So now who's leading you to truth? Where is this truth coming from? Now when you live with that mentality, what happens is now who, are, who else's voice comes into your mind? The liar. The deceiver. And with him comes shame and guilt and confusion and condemnation. And the more confused and guilty and condemned you feel, the less and less you begin to believe that the Holy Spirit is there. And as you start to give way to the wrong thinking, what happens is in your belief system, you think you've scared away the dove. And now you are left all alone and you've got to drum up and work up as best you can in your flesh to get the Holy Spirit to come back so that you can be this good Christian again. And I've heard teachings where, you know, if, if this guy, he's a well-known teacher, I won't mention his name, and it was a wonderful sentimental preach that I almost got hooked up into when I first heard it. But he uses the story of, of moving into this new house, and there was this dove, that, that, that this, this, these two doves that had nested in his, uh, the eve of his, outside his bedroom. And he realized that every time he, he slammed a door or argued with his wife or shouted down to his kids that the, the doves would, would go away for a few days. And so he began to change the way he lived in order to get the dove back. And gee, the Holy Spirit is like the dove. When you do these things, when you live loud or slam the doors of your life, they, he will go away. And I just thought that, I almost bought into it because it was such a wonderful sentimental preach. And don't we often get that? We get these sentimental preachers that make us feel all gooey and, and inside, but it sets a wrong understanding of who God is. And when we, when we come into agreement, I watch people, I see them, amen it. When you shout the word amen out of your mouth, it means I agree, let it be so. And you get a wrong teaching, and you go amen, let it be so, then that is what is established. So it is written, and so it shall be. And so we've got to learn not to amen the wrong thinking. And amen what is God's word. And so we want to redeem the nature of the Holy Spirit. 
He will forcefully step into your life. And he will, he will engage with you in counseling and instructing you on the way that you should go. Yes, the scriptures are true. And it's different to having him be flighty and shy as opposed to him being grieved. And by our living, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you something? As a father, I would be grieved if my daughter chose not to live in a good way that would bring healing and wholeness to her life and chose to walk in the wrong way. Does it mean I don't love her? And does it mean that I'll never, ever uh, create opportunity for her to come to me? No. Will I, will I leave her? Never. But will I be grieved by the decision she made? Yes. What will my heart be? To counsel her every day in what I believe to be truth to bring her into freedom. She, imagine she chose to live outside in a gutter when I know that I've prepared a home for her. Where she's starving every day in the rain, not wearing the clothes that I've put in her cupboard. And you look out the window and you see her and you decide that, you know, I'm going to just be angry and leave her. She's Leave her to her own devices. Every day I will go outside and I will sit on the side of that road and I will, dis- I will discuss, why do you live like this? Why have you chosen this? Come inside. There's a fridge full of food. There's a, clothes, there's a, there's a, there's a closet full of clothes. There's a warm bed for you to sleep in. There's a loving, warm, healthy environment for you to live in. How can a human being like myself be better than God himself in how he loves us? So I want to encourage you, don't get caught up Firstly, don't live in a way that does not grieve God. That's, that's the best way. But when we do, as we will always do, step into the fleshly behaviors, because that is, we are humans. The first thing you do is you go into your closet or your bedroom, whatever you want to do, your prayer closet. You close that door, and the first person you engage with is God. You can't hide what you've done. Is he grieved? Yes. Brad, when you behave like that, it grieves me. Okay, Father, I know. Now I want to talk about it because ultimately I want to live in a way that does not grieve him. I don't, I will never frighten him away. The scripture is true when it says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. The word forsake means reject. Now we build a theology that he leaves us. How can that be? And how can the church look at two different scriptures and build a theology of one? How can we look at a flow from the Old Testament right through to the book of Revelation and we see the nature of God time and time again and then through one text, we build a complete different theology for who he is? Because nobody opens this up outside of listening to somebody maybe preach it on Sunday or some podcast. But when you open the text, it's where you get revelation from. Now, even today, you will, you, will get, you will get a percentage of revelation from me coming out of my mouth. But it's when you engage with God yourself, with His Word, that the true revelation actually comes. It's established in you. All we do when we preach here is we present something to you. We present what we believe to be a truth before you. Whether you go and eat that food and whether you go and, and, and allow that to be put into the soil of your heart, as we heard from Ben saying, then it's, it's, it's when you do that that it actually becomes true revelation that transforms your life. It's not enough to listen to preachers preach their revelation that's transformed their life. And you eat the crumbs that fall from our table. You engage with God yourself to live a life that is intimate with Him. Now, when I read the scriptures, I always open them, and it's always to do this. 
God, first and foremost, not so that I can be clever, not so that I can preach a sermon, but so that I can know God. People always say to me, so are you going to take some time to go prepare your message? No, I'm not. Well, why not? Because I will only preach to you what I believe to be revelation to myself. It's, that's it. It's simple. Where does it come from, Brad? Every day when I sit down to engage with God, that's where it comes from. I will not preach a sermon that I've read up online. I will not preach a sermon that I've heard somebody else preach and write notes down and think that it's sentimental. It will do nothing for you but give you some wonderful information. I will only give what I believe is revelation to me. And even in that revelation, it will grow. It will grow. Maybe in a year's time, I'll preach something, but I'll, I'll preach it from a different perspective because my revelation has matured as I walk with God. And the only way I can walk with God is to know this, that God, in my darkest times, and let me tell you, I've been through probably the most darkest times that any man can go through in his life. And I know what I've said to God behind closed doors. I, I, let me tell you this. I have swung my fists at my father. I have had it out with him. I have had some serious words with my father behind closed doors. I have questioned my faith time and time again. I've questioned the king of kings if he is who he says he is based on his word. He has not once ever left me. What I've learned through that time is this, that he is merciful. Because he can snuff me out like a wick in one second. But he is merciful with you through your pain, through your shortcomings, through your stupidity and foolish behavior. He is always with you. Never does he fly away and find some other place in the tree and look on as a spectator of your life. He is in there with you, waiting for you to turn around and go, there you are, and ask him to counsel you and ask him to advise you. Do not get caught up in thinking he's gone. When you are in error, when you, are, when you make that mistake, the first, thing you, the first person you go to is your father. And you engage with father through the spirit, through the Holy Spirit. If he is in us as a guarantee of our salvation, if he flies away, you're not saved anymore. What kind of a, that doesn't make sense to me. Because when he's gone, I'm no longer guaranteed of my salvation. Now we have a whole other doctrine that comes in from, from some weird, you can be saved and unsaved. And if you believe the Holy Spirit flies away, that's probably why you feel unsaved one day to the next. But friends, don't engage with, as Rob Rufus wonderfully says, stinking thinking. No, Tracy, we're not going to engage with stinking thinking. We, we engage with correct thinking. And then here comes the life of the church, is you engage with the community, and there's people in this community that can help you to bring forward the correct understanding. If I always say to people, if you read a text, if you read a scripture, and we've created these opportunities time and time again through some of the courses that we've run, and, and even when we go overseas and we preach at conferences, which is not my favorite thing to do. I don't, I don't like conference preaching. I like to preach into local churches where we can actually engage with the people, the leaders of, on the ground in local churches where questions and answers can be had. But we, when we do preach sometimes at conferences, we, we, we create an opportunity for, for questions to be asked of us. So, because people will bring forward, and I want to encourage you, if you have scriptures that, that you feel your interpretation of or you've heard it taught that is incorrect to the nature of God, bring it forward. 
Grab one of the leaders, sit down and ask them questions. I've had people do that with me time and time again. Brad, this scripture seems to negate who I believe the Father to be in his goodness, in his graciousness, in his mercy, in his kindness towards salvation, towards the person of the Holy Spirit. And what we can do is we can open up those texts, we can go into the original language in which they were translated from, and we can begin to debunk some of the wrong thinking that the enemy would like to bring in and give you a greater revelation of who he is because he is who he says he is. Not what the different interpretations of the Bible may swing to. I read, I read from the ESV. The ESV, what I found as I read through it, and I really like it, and I still use it, is that it's, it was generally birthed through Reformed theology. And so sometimes you can watch how the Reformed thinking comes into it. And I've got to then be smart enough to go, hang on a minute, that sits outside of who I believe the nature of God to be in the wholeness of the Bible as I've read through it. And so it's up to me then to then pursue what the reality of that truth is. And the best way to find that is straight back into the original language. And so I've got my concordance, which is very big. Um, and then I've got my online concordance. And I go into that to help me to understand what is it that was originally said and oftentimes you find out that what we read on the pages of some of our interpretations is not 100%. It's, it's leaning towards a type of denominational way of thinking. Sometimes I read from three different Bibles. I have the, the King James, I have the ESV, I have the NIV, and I have the Passion Version. And I will read sometimes a, te a, a text out of all four of those to get a better understanding. With the concordance, always. But most importantly, most, most, most importantly, is with the Holy Spirit. Because the moment I read a text, straight away, he says to me, look at that further. That's wrong. <laughs> and you go, how can you say the Bible is wrong? Because he is the one who breathed that word, and he knows exactly what he was saying when he said it. Amen? So guys, don't get caught up in bad thinking. If you, and I, I mean, I don't know what, where to end this. I felt that maybe there's, there's an opportunity where we can, just, we can just pray into. I think maybe some people may have that, that mentality of the, is the Holy Spirit's left me because of something I've done in my life, because of the way I've chosen to live currently. And, and so because of that, I'm feeling distant or God is distant from me. Are you feeling distant from God? doesn't mean he's distant from you. So if anyone feels that way, maybe, maybe there's an opportunity for us to pray and minister uh, or allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you as an individual, just to just to change that thinking again, to 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 repent of that thinking. Repentance is to change the mind. It's not to say sorry. You say sorry. That's called saying sorry or apologizing. But repentance is to change the way you think. And the greatest thing we need to repent of is how we think about God. Now, God, I thought about you as this type of being. Or Holy Spirit, I've, I've thought of you as being like this. Or Jesus, I've thought of you as being like that. But I'm wrong. And I want to change the way I think so that I can embrace truth that will transform my life. And ultimately, friends, in the wonderful words of Bill Johnson, a transformed people transform cities. And so part of our, our, our desire for this church is, to, is to, be, to be a transformed people that can transform the city of the Gold Coast. Not to fill this building with people but to fill people with the presence and then to fill the city with those people who have the presence. If we do that, we will successfully do what Jesus has asked us to do. If we, if we get caught up in this, we will not achieve it. Amen?
Is, just let me ask this. Is there anyone that has had that, that, that type of thinking? It's, you know, the one thing I've learned as a Christian is this. Be open and honest with where you're at. Because you may hide from us, but God knows and he wants you free. And there's no shame here either. Um, just yesterday I was reading in Ephesians 1.14 and from the uh, Passion Translation. It says, Holy Spirit is given to us like an engagement ring is given to a bride as the first installment of what's coming. He is our promise of hope of a future inheritance for all who have been made alive in Christ. This hope promise seals us until we have all of redemption's promises and experience complete freedom for for the supreme glory and honor of God. And verse 11 said, God always accomplishes every purpose and plan of his heart. So his plan is the Holy Spirit in us always to bring forward all his promises of freedom, of life, of liberty for us all. So if there is something that, that you feel that's, that's stirring and something that you want prayer for, then by all means come to the front and, and guys will pray for you. You know, if there's sickness in your body or if there's something that, that clicked tonight, today as Brad was speaking, then come forward. You know, we, we need to stand together as a, as a family and, and pray for one another and, and help build one another up. If not, there's, there's tea and coffee at the back. Feel free to go and, and mingle and, and enjoy yourself and we will see you guys next week.